We'll read from Romans again. This time chapter 1. Romans 1, 14 through 16. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In Romans chapter 7, Paul describes his life before his conversion when he was ashamed. But the gospel has power to lift us out of a life of sin and therefore shame. I think most of us know what it is to be ashamed or at least embarrassed. I, of course, I grew up in Roseburg, outside of Roseburg, in the country. Most of my peers didn't. Most of my peers lived in town. They, um, you know, they had nice homes and manicured lawns. We, we lived different. We weren't that far out of out of town, but we lived in did live in the country. We didn't have a lawn, we had a yard. Uh, we didn't drink milk out of a carton. We milked the cow and refrigerated it. The milk, not the cow. And the, the cream would rise to the top overnight. Then in the morning, Mom would take a cup and skim the cream off the top of the milk, and now we were left with milk, with chunks of cream. It wasn't good. One time we persuaded mom to get uh, something like Nestle's Quick so that we could kind of disguise the, the chunks of cream and be able to take and drink that whole milk. But when we stirred in the, the chocolate, the milk turned chocolate, the chunks of cream remained white. So, you know, I milked cow every morning or at night. I took turns uh, with my brothers but uh, morning or night, it, it, that's the way it was. But you go to school and, you know, you, you don't live like that. Most of you don't. I think some, some do. Some have goats and some have a little farm. But for the most part, you live in the city. And, and it's particularly when you're in school, in high school, uh, you, you don't really want to be different than everyone else. And I, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed and didn't uh, talk about that stuff. But there's a greater shame than that. And that's the shame that sin brings. Where, well, we see what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. What ha happened? Adam hid. He was ashamed. He was embarrassed. He, he was caught. And it's hard to know if he was ashamed for what he did or if he was ashamed for having been caught. And we see in, in the political world and even in the sports world when someone uh, says something they, they should not have said, then their management will come on and say, this does not represent the culture that we stand for, and all, all of these uh, prefabricated uh, statements, and you wonder uh, the sincerity 
of it, but if, if it's only the level of embarrassment, it perhaps doesn't accomplish much, but if it can go to the state of shame, then there's hope. Adam found himself ashamed, exposed, uncovered. Well, God sees, and the sacrifice was made there in the garden and provided a covering for Adam and Eve. But Paul, uh, in Romans 7, does describe uh, the shame and the defeat that it brought to him, to his heart. He was held captive, as one reads through the entire uh, epistle, which we've been doing over the last um, few uh, weeks. You you come to understand that uh, there's, uh, there's a nature that holds the human race captive, And that's the sin nature with which each of us was born. So Paul went about, he was religious, he was spiritual, but he, but he wasn't, he wasn't saved and he had no power to live the kind of life that he knew he ought to be living. And so that's why he cried out, exclaiming, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Well, he had the answer. It's Jesus. He's still the answer. We can't do it in our own strength. And that's why uh, Paul went from being ashamed of his uh, profession to being unashamed, uh, declaring, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Well, we're not, we're not ashamed either. It's still the power of God unto salvation. Uh, there's power in the blood of Jesus to uh, take us out of sin and take sin out of us. Later they tried to shame Paul. He he had gone from being an admired man. He excelled uh, academically and vocationally. And they must have stood back as he persecuted Christians, his contemporaries at least, and said, wow, what a guy. He just has it all together. Uh, but it was all falling apart. Actually, it had already fallen apart. Actually, it had never been together. So he carried himself as if it was all together and everything was in order and while he lived a life of disorder. But then he was saved, transformed by the power of God. Uh, we've experienced that, uh, some of us. I hope all of us have. Some some grow up in it, and uh, you you come to understand the, the light of the gospel early on. Some take action, some don't. Some get saved right away. Some get saved later. Some never get saved. But some of us didn't grow up in it. I I, I marvel in these services as I see uh, the young people who are preteen and and teen and even even beyond. Uh, sitting in these services, and it's uh, noted by many who uh, come along and and think uh, that's where I think, wow, what, what a guy or what a what a gal. Uh, he wasn't like that when I was your age. Sometimes uh, we we see impatience of parents or others over the conduct of uh, their young people who act like young people, but uh, I think. But when I was their age, I wasn't sitting in church. No, I wasn't. On a Sunday morning, 
uh, or a Sunday. Uh, I was either working as I was older. That wasn't uh, such a bad thing, the working part. Doing it on Sunday wasn't, wasn't, wasn't ideal, but I didn't know any better. And if we weren't working, we were playing ball all, all year round. We lived on acreage, so we could easily mark up a football field in the backyard, and my three brothers and me and some neighbors, we would, we would play. We tacked a backboard on the side of the barn, the old barn, with a hoop on it. Didn't have a net. It might have for a short time, but the rain and the weather. So it was just uh, the hoop itself and the court. Well, it wasn't, it was 10 feet at the, under the basket, but it was on a slope. So you step out about six feet on one side in particular, and it was, the elevation was three feet higher and even higher yet uh, beyond that. So that's where my two brothers, especially uh, Dale and, and Gary, learned how to shoot three-pointers before the three-point line ever existed. We played in our front yard. It wasn't a lawn, but there's some advantages to having a yard rather than a lawn. We could set up a, a, a ball diamond and, and, and play by the hour, and that's, that's what we did. Church? What's church? I didn't know about church. Didn't know about God. Uh, some in my family, I guess, did, but uh, I wasn't among them. Not through my teens until early 20s. So when we, when we preach, we're not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. We, we know what we're talking about, whether we were brought up in the church or not brought up in the church, whether we had the light of the gospel or didn't. But I, I had an experience with the Lord, 21 years old, and uh, was invited to a church service. I didn't go because I was interested in the church service. I, was, I went because I was interested in the one who invited me. And so I sat in that service and heard the gospel for the first time. Can you imagine? I didn't know the difference between the Old and New Testaments. But here, they stood up and they testified. And uh, three testimonies, I can still recall who they were. The one played basketball with my older brother at one time, but he'd gotten saved, and he uh, stood up and uh, told, I didn't understand the language saved, I didn't know the terms and all of that, but I knew him, and he seemed uh, happy. And then another, uh, off to my right in front, where, where I was sitting in that small church in Roseburg, she uh, prayed and talked about being sick, and prayed, and God had healed her. Wow, that was, that was new stuff. They weren't ashamed. I would be ashamed. I would be ashamed if I, if I came into the gospel and they told me to confess my sins and ask forgiveness. So I confessed my sins or whatever in the world they were because I didn't know and, and asked forgiveness and uh, would have been sent on my way. Now, now you're saved. And I would have lived the same way I lived before. I would be embarrassed of that. To think the gospel is some anemic, impotent, or religious uh, philosophy that leaves you the same way as you came. I'd be embarrassed of that. I would be ashamed. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. There's enough power in the blood of Jesus to change you from the inside out. The best society can, can do in this uh, culture is address the symptoms. Why, well, that's like having a, a toothache. 
Oh man, it's killing me. I have a headache. And you go to the, uh, to the dentist and they open your mouth after they tip you upside down and look in there and, and uh, say, yep, you have a toothache. Have a good day. They can diagnose the, the problem, address the symptom, but they have, well, the dentist has a remedy. But this is, when we're talking sin, we're talking worse than a toothache. We're talking an ache down in the soul. We're talking an ache within. We're talking uh, an ache that, that makes you realize something's missing. I'm not doing right. I'm not living the, the way God wants me to live. Well, we're not ashamed to declare there's a remedy. His name is Jesus. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. Well, I, went, I was sat in that service. The, the preacher in apostolic faith circles, I suppose he's uh, almost forgotten. Brother Marty Gerard, a very common uh, type of guy. I, I had expectations being ignorant of all of these things, what it, what it would be like when I accepted that invitation to, to go to church. And uh, those expectations were, I don't know where I got even this idea, but he would have a long uh, flowing robe and maybe a tall hat and and uh, speak with pomp and circumstance. But uh, Brother Marty was just a common guy. And that's how I viewed our family to be, common, which... You can assess that as you wish, but uh, nevertheless, it, it just was common sense. I heard him announce that there would be a, a service that evening. You know, I went home that, that, uh, after that service, just amazed, really stunned. Like, wow, what, what's this all about? I didn't know what this was all about. And, and I remember wishing, uh, hoping my sister would invite me to return for the evening service. Well, I wasn't interested in church services. So what was all, what was going on? Well, that was a, that's the call of God, where you act in manner manners that you don't even understand yourself. But uh, she didn't invite me. But that didn't prevent the Spirit of God from uh, reaching out to my soul as that evening when I uh, turned out the light to, to go to bed. Uh, God. Arrived. It's really funny because, well, not funny, haha, but very unusual. I, I had taken a class at, at Oregon State University because I was curious what in the world was going on uh, with my sister, and, and the name of the class was Ten Ways of Being Religious. So the, I wasn't interested in the nine religions, honestly, but I was interested in the tenth one. Well, for some reason, the tenth one was, was the one Christianity. And uh, I've mentioned a number of times before, but it, it's still so profound that, that the gal, uh, young lady at the front of the class got into a disagreement with the uh, professor who claimed that it takes God to initiate an encounter. And she objected. She, she said, no, uh, I can initiate an encounter with God. No, you know, you can't. It takes God to initiate that encounter. And uh, lost in all of that, uh, which I was the message that came through to me uh, was that an encounter could even occur. 
And so I began, I didn't care who, who initiated it. I knew I wasn't going to initiate an encounter with God. I wasn't really thinking all of this through. But I feared the idea that God, this God that they're talking about, would initiate an encounter with, with man. Never heard of such a thing. And so I would I'd go to bed and turn off the light every night. And in my subconscious, I would think, not tonight, Lord, not tonight. I did. I thought, oh, no, not tonight. I began to be fearful that God was going to do whatever God does. Well, on March 17, 1974, God did what God does. He flooded that room and uh, three different times through the night. And finally, the third time, he gave me a prayer. And I said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And if you'll help me, I'll try to serve you. And when I said that prayer, the power of God went through my my uh, whole being. And I didn't know what was going on or what had happened. But I came to, to learn that that was the experience of salvation. I was saved. Something I'd never heard of. I was I had also never been instructed that when you uh, get saved, you don't do the things you used to do. Didn't know anything about it. Went back to the Oregon State campus, and those same friends uh, came over, and we were ready to go out partying that next Friday night. And I didn't have a, a theological answer. I had a very practical answer, and that was, uh, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. The profanity that I uh, was cursed with, that was a part of my everyday language, stopped Instantly, I didn't know it. I didn't ask for that. But I came to realize that after some uh, weeks that that, that that was gone. Uh, suddenly, I'd never read the Bible. You found me immersed in the Bible and, and praying and uh, trying to find a place to go to church. Why, that, that transformation was uh, instantaneous. I hear in religious circles today that, that it's gradual, that over time, uh, you know, you, you, uh, well, I don't, I don't know what to say, honestly, because I'm not there, but, but I'll tell you, there, there's power in the gospel. That's why we're unashamed. It works. It, it'll, it'll work today. Many are held captive against their will. Sadly, it's part of, the world culture nowadays where young people and uh, particularly women are exploited and sold into slavery. Some uh, we read, I was thinking of uh, in the early 70s, about the time I got saved actually, there was this uh, Patricia Hearst who was an heiress of the Hearst newspaper um, man. She was kidnapped. And um, then over a period of time, it captivated the country, as I recall. And um, most of our news came through uh, newspapers back in that day. So it was part of the paper. And after a while, there was a, a photo of her appearing. It's still in my, in my mind, uh, robbing a bank. And so there was some debate as to whether or not she was suffering from that Stockholm uh, syndrome, which was... Uh, uh, Named for a bank robbery that occurred in, in Sweden to where the uh, uh, captives became sympathetic to the captors. And so they thought, well, maybe this Patricia Hearst was, was uh, suffering from that. And, and uh, others said, no, no, you see in the background where the, these Symbionese Liberation Army uh, uh, people are just a radical fringe 
uh, group uh, during the bank robbery had some of their guns trained upon her as she was required to uh, cooperate or, or she'd be history. But then later on, there were other events that took place, and she was the getaway driver all on her own. Uh, so it became evident, uh, and, and as I recall, she was tried and convicted of, of being um, guilty of the, these crimes and not, not guilty or not suffering at all from this syndrome that uh, some uh, advocated that she was suffering from. So uh, some are held captive against their will, and that's true of the human race at first. We're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And so we, we've inherited Adam's nature. But there comes a point in time where we are complicit, where we are willing participants, where we uh, choose uh, to do wrong. It, it's true that we are held uh, captive, but we are willingly held captive once we come to understand that there is one who will rescue us. That's what being saved is all about. Being saved is to be delivered. That's what Paul experienced on the road to, uh, on the road to Damascus. He fell to the earth and cried out, What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? And the Lord uh, transformed his life and made him uh, a vessel that, that could be used for his purpose whereas the enemy had used him for his purpose uh, heretofore. But now he was saved, he was transformed, he was delivered. That wretched man, that wretched nature that dwelt within, could only uh, the shackles of that nature could only be broken by a power greater than what the human race could provide. And that's true today, too. The human race can provide uh, remedies for certain symptoms, but has no means to address the underlying issue that causes those symptoms when we're talking about sin. And we, the best we can do as a society is recharacterize sin and call it a disease. Well, sin is sin. And it takes the power of the blood of Jesus to deliver one. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We don't apologize for it. It has the power to do a work yet today. If you find yourself captive to some greater force uh, than what you can control, uh, the remedy is Jesus. He'll deliver you. He'll keep you from sinning. He'll keep you. The promises of God are, are true. We don't struggle through life and think, well, maybe when we get sanctified, we, we will no longer have uh, these issues. No, there's power enough in salvation to not only forgive you, uh, but to deliver you and help you to live a life without sinning. It's not only imputed grace, it's that, but it is imparted grace, the power to live a life that's pleasing to God. If you've not experienced it, the invitation is extended to you today. You can come to this place of prayer. You can kneel where you're seated, confess your sins, and you'll find mercy. Look to heaven. And God's looking your way. There's something uh, beating down within that you know, you know, I, I need this. You look to God. God will give it to you freely. We'll sing this invitation song. You're invited to come to pray.